You're listening to 100 p.m. episode 40. You're listening to 100 p.m., the show where we're interviewing 100 expert product people from startups to enterprise and everything in between to bring you all the actionable advice you need to succeed in product management. Today's guest is Ashley Phillips from Venmo. If you're joining us for the first time, be sure to visit our website, 100productmanagers.com, the web's fastest growing resource for product management topics, recommended resources, and online learning. I'm Susanna Bate, product coach, startup mentor, and host of today's show. Let's dive right in and say hello to Ashley Phillips. I am a product lead for commerce products at Emma. One of the things we talk a lot about here on 100PM is the path into product management because the theme that emerges time and time again is most of us didn't study product in school. A lot of the classes that are available now were not available. And everyone's got kind of a unique story, some more so than others. Some are a little bit more predictable. I did an MBA. I went to, you know, got a computer science degree. You didn't do any of those things. Did not. You were a journalist. <laughs> I was. Why don't you tell us how a journalist ends up uh, leading commerce products for Venmo in Chicago? Yeah, my uh, my path into product management was a little different, or not typical, I would say. Um, but started as a journalist um, doing a very news-heavy, um, and really when I started to think about getting into product, and it's not even really thinking about getting into product, but thinking about getting into technology. Uh, I was working at ABC News in New York, uh, reporting on science and tech at kind of an interesting time, or in my mind, an interesting time. My first tech story was about um, the very first iPhone. And there was just, there were a lot of things going on at the time. Twitter was just starting to get traction. I was talking to all these people, interviewing all these people um, who were doing all these really interesting and amazing things. And I started, sort of planted the seed in my mind of, I'm writing about these people. This is great. Wouldn't it be great to, to go from writer to like, to, to maker? Did you ask to be put in the science and technology stream of journalism? Like, how did you even... No. No, no, they no. just came around one day and they said, oh, by the way, Ashley, you're going to be writing about technology from now on? Really, there was an opening there. I was actually uh, an associate producer on Good Morning America, okay. uh, which is really funny, but was, was looking for uh, another path for myself and was sort of exploring what was there on the, really this was at abcnews.com, what was, what was available there, and this, this opened up to me, and I said, sure, I'll try it. I mean, I think one of the, the way that I describe um, sort of the similarities between the journalist role and, and the product management role is that, you know, in journalism, you get to ask as many questions as you want and basically pick a topic and just learn as much as possible about it. Very similar, I think, um, or skill set, at least, to some parts of product management where you're just asking questions, asking tons and tons of questions. And it's not, it's not just that you have permission to do so, you're pushed to do so. And, and so when, and when that science and technology role came along, I just thought, hey, I'll try this, see how it goes. Um, don't know a ton about tech, let's learn about it. Were you interested in it initially or was there kind of a sense, because I mean, 
not to date you, but we're going back to the original <laughs> iPhone here. It wasn't the same landscape as I guess what I mean. People yeah. weren't thinking about product. We weren't so deeply, deeply immersed in digital experiences, online experiences. So I'm just curious about how a young person like yourself says, well, let's see what technology is about. It's not, it's not celebrated. It was like now people are on GQ, you know, startup founders are on GQ. Yes, like that. there wasn't the sex appeal <laughs> then that there is today. Um, but certainly everyone, you know, everyone that I, it was a little bit of an unknown, but everyone that I talked to was just really passionate about what they were doing and really, really smart. And I think that in and of itself is, is part of what got me inspired to, you know, kind of expand my horizons a little bit about what I could do with my career. So what was your first product manager role? My first product management role was at Nickelodeon. Um, I worked on NickJr.com and also on a, it's, it's gone now, but a, a social network for parents um, okay. at the time. Yeah, so I, I worked at Nickelodeon and I, it was pretty interesting. I sort of found out the, about the job randomly. A friend of a friend contacted me about it. Didn't really have any idea what that role meant. Um, and at the time, they even called it a senior producer role. So I went in, talked to a bunch of people, liked everyone I talked to, and thought, hmm, let's see, we'll try this out for a year, we'll try this out for some time, see if I like it. And I have not looked, have not looked back. I have had a number of people come into my class as product managers. I'll say, you know, I always start by asking, why are you here? What is it that are your goals and objectives for? And they'll say, I was recently promoted to product manager. I said, great. I don't know what that is. So was there a defining moment for you in this first role at Nickelodeon where you finally understood what the job was? That's a good question. I don't know if it was a defining moment versus just a series of moments over and over and over again. Okay. I mean, I think the thing, for me at least, what I found is that you can you can kind of, you can learn what the job is so you can have a you know sort of list of you know tasks of this is a thing particularly in entry level like these are the things i'm supposed to do but you don't you don't really you don't really feel it or know it it just it comes from you know continuing to do the task over and over and over again and then you finally you finally get it and it sort of comes together i think one thing i was talking to someone about was was about product vision I think some people, you, you obviously need to have a product vision about, about where you're going and, you know, sort of a, a larger view. But I think for some people, there is a sort of solace in the doing and you can be doing, 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 doing. And then all of a sudden in the doing, you're like, oh, this is where we're supposed to be going. There's something about being, then totally getting off topic here. But there, or you're exactly on topic. There's, there's something about being immersed in the details, that really immersed in the details, that I think sort of that informs that, that larger view. And I found that to be true, at least in the larger view of my career, in, in doing that role at Nickelodeon. So did you have developers that you were working with when you were there? Yeah. So and you had never built digital products before. I mean, you were a journalist. I was a journalist, and I had, you know, I was working at ABC News. I was working on ABCnews.com. So uh -huh. I was familiar in that sense. Um, but I, you know, didn't know what an API was, you know, things like that. So I had groups of journalists. I had engineers that I was working with um, and also designers 
And just a really, I think, people can come in not knowing what they're doing into a team that is pretty experienced and also has a great culture and is very accepting and willing to take on the overhead of that noviceness, you know, or cluelessness maybe is the word. And I think, you know, I just learned on the job and had them, they really taught me, taught me how to do this. I even think almost more than my managers at that point. It was really about those people I was working with on a day-to-day. Well, one of the things that, that comes up in conversations that I have a lot, especially with people who are looking to get into product management, is really getting a sense of what is this environment that I'm going into. Because what you described sounds, frankly, like it was highly beneficial for you. You happened to be met with folks who were seasoned and who could carry the weight as you describe. But that's not always the case. A lot of the times people come into the role hoping for that or they think, well, surely somebody knows because I didn't lie. I I said I don't have experience, just a lot of will. And then they kind of throw you in and the expectation is that you're just supposed to know what to do as though that you had intuited it or something. Yeah. And I think that's an organizational mistake that happens a lot. So I don't know if this is happening more frequently, but it seems to me that, you know, I've been doing this for a while now, and it seems to me that particularly over the last couple of years that product has become, in some companies at least, the sexy, cool job, you know, the job that's making all the decisions. I think there's this wild romanticism about product that always makes me giggle a little bit uh, because I often think about it as... uh, there's some really like there's some really rough parts of the job that uh, I don't think is circulated very well. But but you know just to to speak to that, I think Steve Jobs played a big hand in giving us a viewpoint of everyone thinks that's what you're going to yeah. be doing as a product <laughs> manager. But I think as you were starting to to speak to, there's a lot of not so glamorous aspects. There's of a lot of not so glamorous parts to it. To go back to you know, the, the original question, I think, you know, so you have, so there's this image, the Steve Jobsian image of, of what product is or could be. Um, and people from different parts of the org want to come into it or, or people, people really want to get into it, which is great. I think then though, the organization has to be ready. As a novice, I would not now, or I would not encourage people to go into a startup, for example, and have never as, you know, let's say, oh, I, as a head of product, for example. Um, but you need to have an organization, or it's nice to have an organization that is able to to guide you so that and that the organization is willing to give that to you because that's that can be a lot. You know, um, even if you think about um, if you think about like mentorship programs for engineering, um, being able or apprenticeship programs, being able to take that on, not every size of an organization can do that. And I think you need to, or I think it's important, or it's certainly beneficial to, to have to have an organization that, that acknowledges that, that is not expecting, if you've never done this before, it's not expecting you to just magically know. Now, Nickelodeon's a big company, right? How yes. many people were working there approximately when you were there? I mean, I have no idea. Like in the thousands? Sure. Yeah. Yes. Easily in the thousands. Have you ever worked in a startup environment? Yes. Okay. Um, a few times, and then sort of what I would call a quasi-startup, which was Groupon. So after Nickelodeon, I um, came to Chicago and uh, went to a startup that was about 50 people, and it was, a, it was a very informative experience in the sense that I came on during 
to the hiring rash. They hired a bunch of people, and then nine months later, they let go of a bunch of people. Oh wow! So I was both in the hi- I was both in the hiring uh, in, in the hiring rash, and then um, in sort of the the firing part. So what was interesting about going from Nickelodeon to that startup was at Nickelodeon there were a lot of functions that were kind of outsourced for you. So. There was a there was a data team and there there was a marketing team and there were all of these different teams who did a bunch of things for you that you would have you wouldn't have had to have to do or necessarily have to think about um, or I didn't think about because as a as a newbie I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be thinking didn't know what I was supposed to be thinking about and then going from there to a startup where every resource is so precious every amount of time is so precious every person is every person's time is is incredibly valuable so you have to know exactly what you're doing and know that know that whatever you're doing is going to have an impact and that was and and being responsible for that and being held accountable for that that was pretty amazing experience it's also a pretty amazing experience to understand the importance of making quick decisions in terms of what happens if, if the money is running out or what happens if the business isn't going the right direction like for i think for a big company to make that kind of decision takes a very long time. It's not just going to happen tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, certainly we talk about like the sex appeal of product and startup, startup, startup. And it's like, it's good that you share that story because that's really actually the predominant story. The predominant story is we got a bunch of money and then we spent it all and we couldn't get to product market fit or we grew too quickly and we didn't know how to continue to create value for our customers or you know what worked in in one sort of niche segment didn't translate to another segment as we had hoped and if you're going to play in the startup game especially at the employee level right in product you have to be sort of one prepared for the possibility of that and and hyper connected to what can I be doing from day one to you know potentially save off the inevitable or, or to steer this yeah. in a different direction because what you do absolutely matters where I think definitely in a bigger company you can you can hide in the shadows not that you would want to but that there can be projects that don't have at least don't have like as visible of an impact on you know, the business, like the, the value of the business. Right. And that is very immediately apparent uh, when you're in a startup. Yeah, and I think it's just more fodder for examining what are the stakes that I like. Am I risk-averse yeah. or not risk-averse? And if you're risk-averse, startups aren't for you. Correct. Right. <laughs> the other thing that, that you bring up that I think is, is worth shining a light on is kind of process. So one of the things I talk about with product management it's nothing if it's not just a series of frameworks for how to think about scenarios. So here's a framework for how to think about prioritizing stuff. Here's a framework for how to deliver software more efficiently. And when you come into a startup environment, it's just an empty field. And so part of what you need to do is start to stand up those frameworks and those processes. And to, to go back to your experience at Nickelodeon, I think this is a, another point where people who make those transitions like you did really kind of catch themselves not knowing what they didn't know because in one environment you knew things that were already figured out for you. Mm -hmm. But then when they get removed, you're like, something feels different, but I can't put my finger on it exactly. And you're like, oh yeah, where's data? Yeah. Who's looking after that? Yeah. It's good though. I mean, it's, it, it forces you to develop skill sets that you might not get at a bigger place. And it's, 
and it keeps you really focused too. So you left the startup or did you go to another one? I mean, was that, was that hiring and firing enough to scare you off for good? Not quite. No. Um, so I left, I, I left the startup and went to what I would call the quasi startup in 2011 to Groupon, the, which pretty much anyone you talk to in Chicago at this point has, has done, done some time in Groupon. It's like a, it's like a cult here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Amazing, amazing place. Really amazing experience. At the time, um, the product team was pretty small. I don't think they had yet opened uh, a Palo Alto office. And, uh, you know, every, I remember this very distinctly every Friday, there were five or six other PMs who would just all meet and have pizza and kind of talk about what's going on. Wait, this is, so this areas. is pre-IPO. This is pre-IPO. How many people are we talking? Because there are, what, like 15,000 people now, something like that. Wow, really? I think That's it's amazing. <laughs> was, was it like 100 people? It it was bigger than that. Um, I'm trying to remember how big the engine like the engineering group was at that time. But we had a very very large sales force. Okay. So we still had a pretty large sales force. So going in, it's pretty funny because they would have they were hiring so many people at that time. So you would go into they had these orientations at a church around the corner. You go in and just be filled with people. They had them every week. Wow. Yeah. So when you say it's a quasi-startup, why do you define it that way? Because at that time, you still had regular contact with the with the CEO, with the leadership team. Like it was, you were very in touch with what was going on, even though, at, like you would be at a smaller company. Okay. Yeah. So you, for and you, it, that definition has to do with the connections to the leadership. You don't have those seven layers of Yeah, the connections to the leadership, the communication style, and I think just the feel of the place. Um, not that startups have a certain feel, but everyone was really hungry. Everyone was really focused. Everyone was there to you know do their best work every day, sometimes night. Everyone was really devoted, and it was, it was a lot of smart people and really amazing. How did you end up at Venmo? Another windy story. <laughs> You've been winding yeah, that product path all the way. Okay. I know. So I was at Groupon for about three and a half years, and Chicago's really small. I uh, fell into an opportunity. I don't want to say I fell into. I had went to a startup, uh, a mobile commerce startup, as head of product. Um, that was a, a huge deal for me uh, to be able to to be able to basically run the show when I came to product. I was I was ready. I was very excited. It was very crazy. So we had it was about a nineteen person startup. Um, I was head of product, but also product manager, like product team of one, right. as you would imagine. And it it was it felt a lot like bringing bringing some order to the chaos, even though the the chaos part was also fun as well. Okay. So that's really where though I, and obviously I had, I, had ha I had had all these tools, you know, you, you have, you kind of have a toolkit for, you know, how you, how you run projects or how you roll out features or how you do development or how you, you know, you want to run things. And that was really where I felt like all of those years of getting all those inputs from Nickelodeon and from the other startup and, and from my time at Groupon really came together where I developed a way that I want to work and, you know, try to further iterate on that with our team. So now it's it's been pretty interesting because from there, I brought that here. We got acquired by PayPal. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, that was pretty great. So we got acquired by PayPal. Um, 
brought a lot of that thinking here and it's been really cool to see how it's changed over time too. Sort of quickly, it's not even quickly, you know, but has the team has changed, how we want to do things have changed, has changed, the way we've worked has changed, we'd like to try things out, if it doesn't work, we can we can rejigger and, and change directions a bit. And I think that's been really interesting and something that I'm really interested in to hear from other people, just how, how do things change, how do group dynamics change um, as the organization grows, um, as the product grows, and how does that affect you know, the product development process? Just for clarity, so PayPal owns Venmo, which yes. is where you are now. Yeah. PayPal owns Braintree, and of yes. course we all know PayPal. And you all are commingling in the same sort of headquarters. How big is the Venmo team specifically? So the Venmo product and engineering team, I believe, is about 60 people. Okay. Um, we also, in Chicago, have a huge customer support team as well. It's still pretty small, um, so less than 300 people total. Right, because I, I think where I was wanting to, to ask or to, to take you was how you go from being, so you're in this startup, you finally have your head of product role, you get to put in all of the frameworks that you like yeah. the best, and then you get acquired, which is a big win, but then you sort of back to, now you have to start to play by some processes that may have already been established, if not by Venmo, then certainly by the parent company. Um, although it's still fairly small, so I guess you have a little bit of room to, to innovate and be creative inside of that. Yeah, I'd like to think, I, I'd like to think that we took the best of all of those things. So. There are, I mean, really coming from a startup to PayPal, I very distinctly remember when I found out that PayPal had this you know, state-of-the-art user research lab. I was like, what? <laughs> we can use that? There are people with, you know, who like professionals who, who will do this for us. And, you know, basically, we, I mean, basically it's for free. We don't have to, you know, to make money. It's just part of the, it's just a thing that we get. And how valuable is that? That's so amazing. So there are a lot of, in terms of, I think in my initial reaction when we got acquired was there are there are, there are so many perks here or so many things that you would tools really that you would never have access to as a, as a startup, um, which is so 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 valuable. Now two years down the road or almost two years down the road, which seems crazy, I the other the other benefit that we've gotten is you know as we PayPal has. Um, has, has a lot of experience doing some of the things that are very, very new for Venmo. You know, so some of the some of the spaces we're trying to play in or that specifically my team is, is trying to play in, um, we can we can get some of you know some of what PayPal has already learned as inputs. They're very different products. Sure. You know, they're very different audiences or they're very different users certainly. But that's I mean that's enormously helpful. So do they have like um, product manager war story fireside chats here where they're like, come in and I'll tell you about the time <laughs> PayPal and the year was this? Not so officially, yeah. not so officially, but you can definitely get that if you if you need that. Yeah, I mean, again, all of these, these things that you're speaking about and, and what you're talking about in Nickelodeon, these are the little things that add up to what is the product management experience that I want or don't want. Yeah. And, and you're right, I mean, you know, speaking only from, from my own experiences and having always been on the entrepreneurial side and, and really deeply rooted in that startup world, 
it's like I do find myself daydreaming, especially here in Chicago when I meet all these huge companies, a lot of huge companies here, thinking like, what would that be like if there was, you know, somebody that I could just say, how do I do this? Yeah. But it's, I mean, the, it's, it's not all rosy for sure, <laughs> for sure. But, um, you know, at a, at a startup, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. Right. You can't, you can't do that here for good reason. But, uh, that was, that was certainly, I would say that was a, a, a quite an adjustment for the team when we got acquired. Right. We can't do whatever we want. I can't just <laughs> say this to a journalist yeah. and have to get it vetted by yes. 19 different lawyers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What, what is your role exactly here? So I work with a team of engineers and product managers. We specifically, uh, we're called the commerce team. Specifically, we are looking at um, trying to figure out how to bring Venmo as a payment method. How, basically, how can users or shoppers start to use Venmo outside of the sort of P2P context that people are, are used to using it in? Venmo is extremely popular. Um, it is a P2P payments platform, so people are paying their friends uh, for whatever, sometimes for actual, for rent, uh, paying them back for going out to brunch, sometimes just being funny and paying them a dollar or a penny and writing a funny note. Uh, but, but we're really trying to expand. We're looking at how we can expand beyond that, um, build on that success, and then expand beyond that for, for users to you know pay pay whomever, pay merchants, go shopping with right. Venmo. It, it, feel free to tell me if this is kind of in the, the, the lawyer danger zone of questions, <laughs> but I guess what it raises in my mind yeah. is where do the products start to delineate themselves, right? So you have, for example, Braintree, this is a payments company. Of course, we understand the history of PayPal. So they're all kind of different and then playing in the same spaces. And do you have to, maybe the real question I want to ask is, to what extent does the Venmo team need to negotiate with the PayPal team, for example, to say, well, we're going to take this as far as this line and we, we promise not to tread over it? Or is it just like, go for it? It's more like go for it. I mean, I think it's it's really that these, all I mean, all three products and PayPal has a bunch of, a bunch of products um, underneath it, but are really for very specific audiences. And I, I think that's where we're differentiated. We are, our user base really skews younger. Use it, everyone uses the dreaded term millennials. I'm doing air quotes right now <laughs> because I, it just feels, I don't like it. But What um, would you use instead of millennials? Young adults? I don't know. I don't know why I don't like that term. It just feels a little bit, it's, it's shorthand and it feels a little bit lazy. I think it's overused. It's, if, it's like every, every New York Times style section story is story about millennials moving to, to someplace that's not Brooklyn. I don't know. I just, I, <laughs> it just drives me a little nuts. But, you know, we have a very different user base. We, we certainly skew younger. Um, our, our, our users are interested in, you know, sort of overcoming that awkwardness. This is, this is overcoming the awkwardness of of paying someone back, really. So that's that's where we are. I view the work uh, that our team is working on is really where we're trying where we're trying to go, and we're trying to push the boundaries of it's it's almost like a mind shift. So you're used to using Venmo to pay your friend um, or to be silly, but you know how how do we then allow people to use Venmo, you know, 
beyond that, outside of that context, if they want to. Where would you say Venmo is in the product life cycle? Like, is it is it still very you know high growth? Are you moving into maturity? I mean, what is what does it feel like? It's still very high growth. I think that I think that we it feels it still feels startupy to me. But I also think that we're moving into we're moving into a time where we are so so high growth that we need to we need to make sure that we're able to serve serve the needs of our customers. I'm really walking around this way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, so so here's here's where I'm kind of going. We we need to think about scale at this point. Right. That's I mean that's that's we're at the point. I, it feels to me like we're at, we're at a tipping point and where we need to be thinking about scale where we've been building, 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 and it's completely paid off as we've seen amazing, we have seen amazing user growth, but we also, I think what happens to all startups that grow up a little bit, we need to be to be making sure that we're scaling appropriately, which is a super boring answer, I think, but... No, that, that's okay. I mean, why I'm interested in it and why I think maybe our, our listeners could be interested is you, you talked earlier about having product vision. Right, and I think, and and the difference between being sort of in the tactical role or, or being kind of strategic, and and this doesn't have to be specific to Venmo, yeah. but but what I'm really feeling into is how do we as product managers know when we need to be thinking differently about where we're going, especially if we are beyond the point. Like if you're in a very small organization and you're lucky, maybe you have a really visionary CEO who is like already knows it's on to the next thing, it's on to the next thing, here's where we've got to be, here's here's what's trending. As the company gets larger or as you take on more ownership and leadership, that falls more and more to, you know, a senior product person like yourself or product lead. And then you have to be thinking about, well, we're doing great. And that's the thing. It's like, we're doing great. Why change? <laughs> right? In life, it's like, why would I change? Everything yeah. is working. But you you change to make sure that you don't wake up one day and realize you should have changed two months ago, six years ago, whatever the case. Do you have any advice for folks to how to stay strategic or, or, or be appropriately looking into the future? I mean, I think you always need to be looking, looking into the future. If you, if you are beyond that, I would say if you're, if you're beyond, you know, just that day, if you're at all like beyond that day-to-day role, totally. But at the same time, when I was at Modest, I was the strategic person and the execution person. I was everything. So I think, I think my advice is that you just always got to be thinking about it. The, it's very easy or I don't know how some people are, but I I enjoy I enjoy the execution quite a bit. I like working with engineers. I like solving that that I like solving that problem. I like kind of kind of driving it. I'm actually someone that I manage right now is on maternity leave, and so I'm I'm also playing dual roles right now. And we have a product that's about to launch, and it's super exciting. And I was sort of dreading going back to doing that very tactical, but man, I love it. <laughs> I love it so. But part of why I love it is, or I think part of why I love it too, is that that love for it, I do think, can become a crutch because it's easier. It's easier to have, you know, to have a to-do list, to know what, what you need to do or how to sort of have the smaller problems and then just like, yeah, I can squash them. It's very satisfying. Yeah. Uh, it's very satisfying for me at least. But 
if you, I mean, and you always need people who are going to want to work on, who are going to execute, and you always need to find great people who execute, or who are good at it. But I also think if you don't have, uh, if you don't sort of have that broader vision in mind, and I, you know, this is also what we talked a little bit about earlier, is sometimes you might not have the broader vision in mind. I do think that being really in touch with the details and just, you know, executing, executing, executing day after day can then, you know, this has certainly happened to me where like you're in the thick of it and, and you're doing this and then all of a sudden you realize like, oh, this is the vision. This, you know, it, it gives you insight, it gives you a little window of insight that where it sort of, it sort of all clicks. Yeah. And, and that, having that level of detail and that level of understanding of, of what's going on with your team and, and really at, at like a, a story by story level um, can really inform can, can really inform the whole thing for you. I know it certainly worked that way for me. It worked that way, I'm honest, because I had to constantly <laughs> keep both in mind. But I think I think it's good. So I think for the I think for the the product, I think for the product person who's really just thinking it, I think it's a mistake, even though I think it happens all the time, for to think about product management as just I'm gonna think of great ideas. I'm just gonna be it's gonna be this visionary role, like this this Steve Jobsian model because I, I think it's very hard to have that vision without being really enmeshed in the details or having some sort of context for details. Yeah, well, and, and I'll build on that by saying most of us are not, we're not wired for being strategic right off the bat, you know, like yeah. execution-oriented things are sort of taught to us from very, like even through school, it's like, do your homework, yeah. read these exact pages, write this exact report. And so, you know, I think for me, there's an experience when I went to university and I had always kind of excelled in, in high school and, you know, candidly, like as a procrastinator, like I was fortunate enough that I could sort of really not do anything until the last minute and then pull it off, like without trying too hard. It's like, if I wanted to try, I could do really well. The shift for me going to university was sort of like we were talking about earlier. Suddenly nobody told you exactly what you're supposed to be doing. So it's like they remove that, that kind of framework. The other, so, so strategy is a bit that way. It's like, you have to bring the framework. You have to bring the vision. The other side of it that I, I like to tell people just to, to take some of the mystique out of it being a strategist is just being a good guesser there's a there's a creative component especially if you embrace kind of validated learning as, as one of your methodologies and experimental mindset then strategy is just saying i think this is a good idea now let's find ways to execute on that preferably incrementally over time to, to prove it or or quickly disprove it and move it on so we equally have to encourage that muscle in ourselves because yeah. if we're always in the the to-do lists then we're not growing as pms and we're not learning how to be creative and bolder and experimental in our thinking but the danger that you speak of of getting stuck too much in one way or the other comes up a lot right where definitely i've seen people their thermostat is set for execution yeah and they, they always want to can i just do it myself can i just oh, let me just stay here in jira just yeah. a little bit longer and leaders the the flip side of this 
getting kind of comfortable in the cushiness of not having to be in the details and then being, and then someone goes away. I know this isn't your case, <laughs> but then someone goes away and suddenly it's like, how do we do this again? Yes. What's her process? Yes. Yes. How are you writing your user stories? Yes. Yeah. Very good. We, um, we do a segment on our show called get the job, learn the job, love the job. And I wanted to maybe frame the, the first question about getting the job through the lens of some of the experiences that are particular to you. So a lot of your experience was learning on the job, which I think is very exciting and, and one of the best ways that any of us can learn. So if I or one of our listeners is somebody who just got promoted to product manager but has no idea what it is, just came over, got recruited from journalism or any number of seemingly disconnected background, what would you say to me to encourage me to become the best PM that I could be? Talk to your customers. Okay. I mean, I think that is, that's the number one thing. And I actually feel like even as PMs, sometimes we can lose touch with that. Like, I think you, people can come up with a really cool idea or they get very focused on the solution or the feature, whatever it is that they're delivering. And along the way, I've seen this happen so many times, it's happened to me, you know, and along the way, kind of lose touch with the customer and the problem they're trying to solve. And that's it. And I think if you can, like, number one thing, if you're coming over, hopefully, if you're coming from somewhere in your company, you already have a great understanding of your customer. And that's why, that's why you're coming over. And, and that's why you've been, been tapped to move into this role. But I think that's the number one thing. I think number two, befriend and be lovely to your engineers. <laughs> because really, I mean, really, a product manager is only as, as good as their engineers. And I, I think about this all the time. I cannot, I can't do my job unless my engineers are amazing. And not just amazing, not just, oh, they're good engineers and, you know, they're smart or whatever. But really engaged in... Also, like having that customer focus and engaged in, in solving in solving problems for the customer. I mean, I you don't want engineers who are just going to do whatever whatever you ask them to do. That's not what you want. You really want you want partners who are going to push back on what you're saying. Are going to ask questions, and who are, are going to you know be as interested as as you are. I think that's I think in terms of in terms of learning the job because then everything else will kind of learn. This is. This is something that happened to me multiple times at Groupon, where I was hiring. I was hiring for my team and had tons of people come in, and they looked so good on paper. They sort of had like the perfect resume, and I just I didn't like anybody. I just no. I just doesn't that make you a common denominator? (laughs) I know. know, What's wrong with all these people? (laughs) But what ended up what ended up happening? Was and then again, I, I'm just thinking: is this is this my bias to do this? But just finding people from other parts of the business who have subject matter expertise, I can teach you how to do this job. Like I can, I can give you tools. I can, I I can teach you the tasks that you're supposed to do. But I need people who who are so engaged and so care, like and, and care and are like driven and ready to are ready to do this. This is product management is a really tough job. 
So I, I kind of, I, I do think sometimes people don't quite know what, what they're in for when they get into it. I certainly did not. I'm glad they're listening and now. Suddenly they've been listening, they've been following 100 p.m. along all this time and then they get to this interview and they're like, wait a minute, maybe it is. Maybe this isn't for me. Ashley said it was hard. No, she loves it. That's why we're yes, here to talk about it. This, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but you, you, you made the point about go out and talk to customers, and you spoke at the outset of the interview of how your journalism background in a lot of ways readied you for, for much of what the skill set of a product management requires, which is a curiosity. I teach a lot about interview techniques. Is there like one nugget that you can offer our listeners from having been a journalist of like how to ask the right kinds of questions? Just a little. I think, you know, have a list of the kinds of things you want to know or the question. You know the, you know the answer to this. But well, have, I want your answer <laughs> to this. Have a list of the kinds of things you want to cover, but don't just check down that list. You know, you're responding to what people are saying. The, the people you're talking to are are humans, you know, they're not some sort of archetype cut out of, you know, just cut out of central, cut right from central casting, they're real people. <laughs> and, you know, really being tuned into that. I think the other interviewing technique that I've had that has worked really well, I don't know if it's especially worked well in journalism, is to just shut up. You know, ask a question, people say they don't want to answer it, don't say anything else, and then eventually they answer it. <laughs> You're actually the, the second person that I've spoken to very recently who gave exact, <laughs> I like the way that you framed it, it was, it was uh, another one of our guests, Wade, and he said exactly that, talk really slow and people will instinctively want to jump in and provide information, oh, well, go ahead then. People, yeah, people don't like silence. Yeah. I had a, a colleague of mine used to say, people leak data all the time, you just have to, as you described be prepared to, and willing to listen. So yes. what about hard lessons learned? I mean, surely all that time of figuring it out as you go, um, you found yourselves, yourself in a situation where you thought, well, that wasn't the best, or if you could go back and do, do it differently, knowing what you know now. Any advice you can offer for possible pitfalls in this hard job of product management? This again goes back to kind of team dynamics and process. I think really not being afraid to if something is not working this is true for everything and I'm, I'm if, but if something's not working don't be afraid, afraid to just throw it out and like throw it out immediately whether that's you know sort of how you're working whether that's like part of the product and you can immediately tell or you just you just kind of feel like this is not not this is not right you need to trust your instincts here or just I'm really specifically thinking about 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 process. I think when we you know when we got acquired, we kind of tried to keep working in the way our team kind of tried to keep working in the way it had been working. And we were just a different team. We were you know we were getting people were coming onto our team from from Braintree and PayPal, and we just kind of kept kind of grinding it out. But we we really needed to adjust. And when we did, it was amazing. But it took us took us a while to get there. And I think. I think that's. I think it's human to kind of cling to the things that are familiar, but try to try as much as you can to let that go because everything you'll find out a lot faster whether you know whether what you're gonna whether what you're, you're working on. This spoke true of, of product and just the process itself, like whether what you're working on is gonna be successful, and that's really that's really what you what you want to know. Yeah, I, I think 
to build on what you're you're talking about, you hear people say a lot. One of the the number one reasons folks fail in product is falling in love with their own solution. To to, to even expand that idea, the minute that we formalize something, be it a process, be it whatever, the minute we're like, but I did that. I shouldn't have to, why would I have to do it over? I always say it's product management is a lot more like laundry than you think. It's never really done. Yeah. And so the, the <laughs> less attached you can be to the completion, the, the perception of completing, the easier it is. One of my favorite anecdotes about throw it out if it's not working comes from, from Leo Tolstoy and Anna Karenina. I don't know if you know the story, but... Uh, Legend has it. He wrote 60 pages of the book before he realized what the story was and tossed the 60 pages and started again. And you're you're a writer. Yeah. You know that's a tremendous amount of work to that do 60 hurts. pages. That would hurt. Yeah. It would hurt, but but I, I say this a lot. That's the kind of ruthlessness that you have to have, to your point. So I, I think that's that's excellent advice. Why do you love this so much? I love being able to come into work and solve problems every day. I love the people I work with. I mean, the team is absolutely incredible. And I think when you have, it's, it's pretty, not to get cheesy, but it's, it's, it's pretty amazing what you can do when you, have a, when you have a group of people who are singularly focused on hitting a goal or moving the needle in some way or solving a particular problem, what can happen? And I really think magic can come out of that. And you know, I I'm not I'm not I can't code, I can't design, I have like hilarious memories of, you know, a Nickelodeon doing my very first wire phrase were terrible. But did you sketch them or you used software? Oh no, I was I tried sketching, I was trying to use software. This is ten years ago, it was really it was, <laughs> it was rough going back then. Um, but for me, like it's really it's really the team and then at then at the end, you know, seeing seeing what we've done and seeing what we've built i think that's i i it's just so cool like right. it's it's really really cool and remembering to celebrate those victories along the way too yeah. right i think that can happen a lot we actually this is something when you know the team before we got acquired tried to do do a lot of just remembering that you know you're moving 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 you're moving so fast and you know it's it's just like constantly going to just stop for a moment and say Oh yes, like we did this. It's 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 pretty it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you completely. What about uh, recommended resources? Where would you direct somebody to get some sideline education, um, whether product management or, or beyond? Yeah, so this is this is a book I'm reading right. I've not finished it yet, but so far it's incredible. And it's funny because everyone on my team has been talking about it. And I have one uh, coworker who said to me, my tech lead said, you know, I keep trying to make my way through this book, but I read a few pages, and then after two pages, I have to think, you know, about how I'm interacting with people and how I'm working with people, and it really makes me think. It's um, Camille uh, Fournier's book. Okay, what's uh, it called? It is called, I'm going to have to look this up. All right, I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Um, Camille Fournier. Yeah. What's the, what's the, the... It's really, it's, it's really meant to be... She sort of frames it as a book for. Um, she's the CTO of Rent the Runway. She was. She pitches it or sort of frames it as a book for engineering managers. But I think it's 
a really just great book to read about working with people and team dynamics and um, and being a manager, just being in being like a manager, being in a managerial role in like the technical world. It's pretty. I, I, my husband laughs at me because my, I before I started reading it, I am so excited to read this book. He's like, "You are such a weirdo. No one has ever said that about a management book ever." <laughs> and it's totally lived out to what I wanted it to. It's great. It's a, it's a wild page turner. You're up until two in the morning, just squeezing. Not so much, but it's it's uh, it's it's great. I mean, I just I'm just a little bit in, and I've already feeling it, it cuts deep. Well, and and we have to be learning all the time, right? We we talked earlier about the fear of being disrupted or, or getting too comfortable in a product that's succeeding. And I think that can be equally true for us as individuals, as product managers or in any profession. If you stop paying attention to what the rest of the world is doing and you stop you know, checking in on which new ideas have entered the consciousness of the collective, then, you know, you could quickly become irrelevant. So yeah. reading and, and, and following up is a great way to do it. And I always advise temper that with reality. Like I say, sometimes if I read Fast Company too much, I think, well, what's the point of even living another day? I can't even <laughs> anything about anything because there's this perception yeah. that, the whole world is very different than the one that we're in. And then you come back to your office and you're like, oh yeah, no one's really caught up to that yet. Just the, the media is out in front. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty funny how, like, even if you just think about how development has changed, like at, in Nickelodeon, when people were just trying to talk about agile, we were just trying to try agile. It wasn't agile at all. Like looking back, I'm like, that wasn't, that wasn't anything, but it's, yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing to always compare like what the ideal is and then what is actually what is actually happening and then taking everything and kind of making it work for whatever you've got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wherever you are, you're there. Yes. <laughs> Do you have a professional or personal life philosophy side of the mug quote that uh, that that tells us a little bit about how you like to operate in the world, either at work or at home or both? I always like to be learning and always like to be having fun. I do not, I don't want to be doing this. The minute this job or this industry becomes unfun to me or something about this becomes unfun, I'm out. You know, I think I'll, I'll, I'll sort of find, find somewhere, somewhere else to spend, to spend my energy and passions. But, you know, this, this job and this industry have just been, just been, or this role, I shouldn't say, but, you know, not this particular job. They're, they've all been great, but just have been just really being able to, for me, being able to weave in that desire to learn and have, have having fun while I'm doing it. I, I really like to laugh at work. I really got to work with great fun people. <laughs> and it really has to be, we have to be, be working on things where I can just learn a lot. I mean, even just getting acquired. You know, we were coming, you know, I, I'd never worked in payments before. I didn't know anything about payments. I knew about how people shop online, you know. So um, coming coming here and, and just, I mean, this has really opened, this opened a whole other other world to me. We'll all um, follow you online so that if there's ever a future point where you, you know, proclaim, whether it's via Twitter or whatever the next platform is, 
I'm out. Product management is over now <laughs> because it stopped being fun, and, and Ashley Phillips was on to it and on to the next thing. Well, my husband and I have a plan B that we talk about all the time, which is the mantra ice cream shop. <laughs> Thank you so much for being part of our show. Really appreciate your insights. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you for listening to 100 PM, the official podcast for 100productmanagers.com. If you enjoyed the show, please help us get discovered by leaving a five-star rating and review right from your podcast app. Our mission is to help you excel at product management. If you haven't been to our site, please check it out. We have so many great free resources to help you on your path, including all of the recommendations from our fabulous guests week over week. I'm your host, Susanna Bate. We'll be back next week with an all new episode.